Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that leaves no stone unturned in its search for understanding in the property world. And today we're taking a look at Savills annual impacts research program, which each year dives deep into the biggest issues confronting all areas of real estate. And this year's program is focused around the idea that property in the real estate world needs to have purpose. People have new priorities in their lives, health, wellness, sustainability. So the buildings have to respond. We're seeing the rise of impact investing aligning to sort of social and and environmental purpose. And that can only be beneficial from all sorts of perspectives, including a financial one. The built environment has the potential to improve and restore our world. It is a very valuable tool for fighting climate change and decreasing our carbon emissions. What about the people that never come near the building? You know, how is this development actually going to impact their lives? And what can the building or the real estate asset do to empower their lives and make the, make the community more inclusive for them. I'm Guy Ruddle, and as usual with the Impacts Research Programme, we've brought together some of the brightest minds from within and actually without the Savills research team. So let's introduce them to you. As regular listeners will know, Paul Tostevin is head of Savills World Research and he leads the Impacts Programme. Paul, lovely to have you back in the studio. How have you been? Really good. Good to be here. Thank you. And Erin Mitsisterju is a director in the World Research Team. She's also a big part of this uh, this program. Erin, lovely to see you. Don't often don't always have you in the studio. Sometimes you're you're on the other side of Europe, but it's lovely to have you in the studio with us. I'm glad to be here too, Guy. And from outside the research team, we have Mary Liz Ramos, who anybody who listens to Real Estate Insights will know is a director of Savills Earth, but she's also the co-host with me of the mini-series that we did of Savills Earth podcast, which I hope we'll do again. But in the meantime, welcome to this podcast, Marylis. Hi, Guy. Lovely to be here. And Wes Ankara is head of social value at Savills and not a, not a newbie on the podcast. Wes, lovely to see you again. How have you been? I've been great. Great to be back and speaking again. Great. So there we are. There's loads to get through. I mean, I think I'll just start by saying, you know, this is a, what, 35, 40 pages of research plus a mini uh, microsite on the website. We're not in the next 20 minutes or so going to cover everything. And I would urge you to go and have a deep dive read of everything. Having said that, let's talk about it. Paul, first of all, to you, and maybe Eri as well, but Paul first, why have you chosen this this idea of purpose for this year's programme, this year's impacts? So I guess we're all very mindful that the world is changing. There's lots of forces and factors shaping property. And we sort of took a step back and said, you know, what is the purpose of property in today's world? And we've done that through the lens of a couple of key drivers, whether that's social, environmental, uh, financial or, or physical factors. And Eri, do you think that sort of concept of purpose is changing? Because it's always, I guess it's always been there, you know, at, at one level, it was to have a roof over your head. Clear, clearly, it's not a new thing that the real estate needs to have a purpose. It does have a purpose by definition. But uh, as people's uh, lives uh, and priorities evolve, and we've been through a big shock, you know, with the pandemic, we have the all these climate shocks, we have, you know, the inflation, all these shocks can maybe lead us to redefining the purpose. Right. So let, as you as you guys have said, that you know, there are these various purposes. And as you say, there's environmental, social, and all these things are sort of growing more. And we'll get on to that, perhaps with Mary and Wes in, in a moment. But before that, I mean, you know, in the end of the day, it 
whatever we do, it's got to be financially sustainable and everything. So, Paul, do you want to sort of set the scene at the moment for for where we are? We've got lots of you know, interest rate rises and things like that, all sorts of things happening with yields in various areas of property. Just just overall, where where do you think we are, and, wh- and where does that fit into the into this this year's report, this year's program? Yeah, property needs financial purpose, and that's only more, I think, acute in challenging economic conditions. Um, We saw a very strong period of of growth coming out of the pandemic, Um, subsequently a period of higher inflation, higher interest rates. That means that era of of cheap debt is over. So um, property needs to work harder to make returns. And I think that's why it needs to be aligned to those big mega trends. Um, And, you know, consequently, we're seeing the rise of impact investing as well, aligning to sort of social and and environmental purpose. Um, And that can only be beneficial from uh, all sorts of perspectives, including a financial one. Yeah. And Marilis, we've talked obviously many times about the environment in in uh, the series, the Earth series we did. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of it, and I'm not sure we actually talked about it being having the purpose of property in terms of the environment. Do do you want to just explain what, what, what you think that we mean by that? Well, I think I've always been a firm believer that the built environment has a very strong purpose because it's responsible for over 40% of global carbon emissions. And as human beings, we spend more than 90% of our lives indoors. So it is really both an environmental and a human issue. And the built environment has the, the potential to improve and restore our world. It is a very valuable tool for fighting climate change and decreasing our carbon emissions. And how how far are we, do you think, from the from the built environment improving our really improving our world environmentally because as you say it, it it's seen as a as a as the opposite of that for, for in in the main well i think uh given that our trajectory is for 2.7 degrees <laughs> we're very far from it at the moment we really need to get back to 1.5 and that's just not just solely on the built environment it's everything but uh, there is still a lot of work to do with regards to reusing existing buildings. I think the net zero agenda is definitely at the top of the list. And a lot of our clients know what they're doing, know what they're talking about, want to do the right thing. There's still a lot to do with the field of social value in terms of understanding. So we've gone quite a bit far- further than expected or anticipated in the last two years, but there's still a lot. I feel as if we're sort of steadily moving. I mean, I know I, I want to come back and talk a little bit more about measurement of things in in, in a while, but we're we're steadily moving away from the, you know, from the concrete uh, with the sort of financial and economic situation towards the slightly less concrete with the environmental. And Wes, it's over to you with the source of the social value of property. I suspect that this is sort of the least concrete bit of it at the moment. It's, and I mean, a term that's popped up a lot recently is the Wild West still, and it still refers to the Wild West, which is a bit of a bugbear of mine, but it's also a, a quite a fair assessment. You know, there's a lack of consistency and standardisation within Social Valley. But I think what's really clear to me, being in the sector now for eight years, is how the role of people has really changed property for me. When I first entered the sector in 2015, coming from a third sector charity background, you know, communities were never mentioned. You know, it was never something that was actually considered around how they would engage with the buildings we were all designing and planning to build. And also some of the contributions that were meant for communities weren't necessarily involving communities involved in decision making. So for me, I think that the role of social has grown massively in eight years. And at this kind of acceleration rate, I can see it being really more prominent than it has been in the last few years. 
And, and when you talk about the, the that, then what what does it need to do? What does property really need to do in your in your area? So in my area, I think the first thing that property needs to do is make social value and people one of the first conversations, even in terms of acquiring an asset. You know, what will this asset do for the people that live there or the intentions of people living there or maybe working there? But more importantly, that's only a finite number of people. You're going to have enough office space or rooms in a building people can use. But ultimately, if you're activating a ground floor space that's going to be bringing culture and sport or communities together that space could be accessible by 10 people or or a thousand people a week depending on what the use is so therefore we spend more time thinking about how can we really activate this space and this place for people you know who are we trying to attract into this building but more importantly as well and i think this is where real estate has fallen foul in the past but really hasn't recently since i've been in the sector is what about the people that never come near the building you know how is this development actually going to impact their lives and what can the building or the real estate asset do to empower their lives and make the make the community more inclusive for them yeah and Eri, sort of on, on the other group of people, not not the people who aren't coming to the building, the people who are very specifically coming to the building, is there a, a are we sort of looking afresh? Do we need to look afresh at, at what the purpose of buildings are for the visitor, to, to, for people want to, wanting to visit them, wanting to be inside them? Yes, definitely. And... Um... It's not that, uh, that there are uh, completely new the reasons why we have to, but definitely have accelerated during the pandemic. And because it, it, during the lockdowns, we were all at home. So there have to be good reasons why we, we you know, we want to go to a shop or we want to go to a, an office or, or a mall or a, a city center. Um, and, uh, and, and people, you know, are looking for, for connection. They are looking for experiences. They're looking for for a good reason to go somewhere, and 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 this and the and the real space have to be relevant to them. So uh, you know, like people have also new uh, priorities in their lives: health, you know, wellness, uh, sustainability. These are now factors that, as I said, they were already pre-pandemic, but now they are even stronger in in people's priorities. So the buildings have to respond, and they have to meet these these purpose and these priorities. So they have to offer these experiences, the flexibility, being built, you know, sustainably, uh, and uh, and and create this sense of community as well that uh, Wesley was uh, was saying. When we're talking about all this, I mean, some of it, 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 the environmental stuff, perhaps less so, Merrillis, but the social value of property, the wanting to live in a building. I mean, for thousands of years, didn't wasn't that what property was all about? It's always been there. I think that's the key thing. It's always been there. It's just always how it's been framed. But what's definitely shifted is the ownership of social value, which has moved away from being owned and controlled by the real estate sector and local authority predominantly to now seeing communities at the heart. Um, I mean, I've been doing a lot of work recently around the, the social value of culture. And we all know that actually London has been one of the most cultural, diverse and creative centres in the world. But actually what we have seen through real estate is you know, the unaffordability of creative workspaces over the years. But now what I'm seeing is affordable workspaces now coming back in via affordable workplace policies in lots of different London boroughs. And I'm, I'm hoping to see similar things across the country. So, yeah, real estate definitely is sort of giving ownership back to people that actually are the heart and soul of, of, of what the kind of this city is in terms of London, but across the country. To delve into one area... Uh, of the purpose of things you know there's the, there's a lot in uh, in the report talking about retail sort of rediscovering itself and le- developing a new purpose and having a new way of of you know being relevant to people Eri, is that is that a good example of 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 the idea of having purpose in retail in in property 
Yeah, it, it is a, 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 a mini representative example, and it is probably one of the sectors that suffered first the implications of uh, an impact of technology with e-commerce coming and, you know, posing an existential threat on shops uh, almost. And then the retailers had to wake up to this and see what do people want or even not not pre- not predict or even uh, dictate what people should want from a physical space and it would be what we mentioned earlier about these experiences about about also blending the online and the offline is uh, and and also retail a step further is about how retail fits in cities as well and now we see retail as part of mixed use environments as part of of um, uh, many many uses that can can give purpose to the people to combine them in one trip, if you like. And by the way, if it is a short trip on by foot, even better. So I mentioned sort of briefly earlier the, 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 the concept of measurement of, of things in this. And I guess sort of part of one of the purposes of impacts being about purpose is so that people can then go and actually you know, read it and act upon it and do things on it. And measurement is an important part of all of that. Um, do some of these less uh, sort of physical things, like the financial side, the, on, on the, the environmental and social value things, we do say that, oh, we need to learn to measure things and we need to get better at measuring things. We need to have standard, you know, standardised things. But, I mean, where's, do, we re- do we have to measure this stuff? I mean, you know, can't we just sort of do it? Oh, this is my favourite question, measurement and social value, yet again. Um, I've been talking about this for eight years and it still hasn't got an answer. I think what we find with the measurement part of social value is is that people seem to see measurement for the lens of numbers, numbers only. And actually, there's so many ways through social value that actually things need to be measured. And it needs to be a hybrid approach. I think there's an obsession between conflating social value with financial value. And the two are just nowhere near anywhere ready to be put together yet. But ultimately, what's really key for me is understanding what matters to people and how we actually capture that. And we capture that through... Um, surveys, we capture that through video, we capture that through genuine just talking to people about their experiences. And actually, sometimes it isn't necessary to report and record everything. Sometimes it's about enjoying that experience. But ultimately, I do understand that we do need to have some sort of consistency in what we are measuring. So therefore, we can see where we can improve and actually create better benchmarks to keep pushing on, pushing, pushing on. It's interesting watching you two, Paul and and Eri, listening to Wes, you were really, really concentrating on what he was saying, and does does that sort of make you sort of think, yes, yes, he's he's absolutely right, or oh, that's going to be really hard? I mean, I suppose take take the sort of financial terms as an example, where it's it's easier to measure. You know, if an office doesn't meet certain criteria that that occupiers and investors are looking for today, it won't perform, and and you see that in that sort of flight to quality among occupiers and investors. Um, so that's that's a much easier thing to quantify. I think it's it's a yeah it's a it's a new and interesting challenge for us. Yeah, and Marilis, we've talked about this before uh, a number of times. I've talked about the need to, to develop uh, what the sorts of things that Wes is talking about in in his part of the world, the the, the sort of standardisation of things so you can measure. Things. Mm-hmm. Has much changed since perhaps we started talking? I don't know a couple of years ago. Well, I think uh, measurement is still very much a thing for the environmental side of things. But I kind of agree with Wes here in that it shouldn't drive things. It is a tool for evaluating options against each other. But too often, I think we see in the design process that people are chasing numbers, massaging numbers, or just ticking boxes with numbers. And that doesn't lead to impact and purpose. 
So I think that's what we really need to focus on. If we have purpose and have a clear idea of what that is, the measurements are a tool, not a driver. It all links. The, what we are saying there, the, there is a link because in the end, what proves how you can measure the success of the building is really how many people want to be there. And uh, and when a building is successful and there is more and more demand in it or around it, that's the measure of the impact it has. It comes a bit, uh, you know, retrospectively, of course, and, and, and people have to do like their homework beforehand. But yeah, effectively, this is the, the best measure of, of success. Yeah, that's absolutely, it's interesting because I was going to say is that is the one of, of all the purposes we've talked about is the one purpose that sort of rises above the other, the master purpose. I would say that obviously, you know, and it's weird to come from a social value perspective saying this, but obviously we're in a climate crisis. So if the climate isn't correct, there is no other purpose. <laughs> and that's probably what we need to kind of understand. There's an urgency around how we're addressing the climate agenda, which will have an impact on the social agenda. But I don't think obviously it works the other way around. I think with the climate crisis, it's such a multidimensional beast that you can't just look at one metric and say job done. We always say net zero is just one part of the problem. The approach to sustainability needs to be holistic, and that does include people. And actually, you know, human-centered design is, is stuff that we all can get behind. And if you do one, you'll do the other. If you do it properly, you'll, you should hit all of those yeah. issues. Now, as most of you know, the main purpose of Real Estate Insights is not what we've been talking about. It's just a vehicle for our feature to tell me something I don't know. So let's do tell me something I don't know. There's quite a big, uh, big topic here. So there's plenty of scope for, for unusual things. Paul, should we start with you? We'll let you go first. This is not going to be hard, but tell me something I don't know. Well, I think many of us know that the developed world is ageing. But did you know that Generation Z is actually now the largest demographic group on Earth? Um, and that's partly because of continued growth in the developing world. Um, but clearly, more broadly, that has huge implications for the, the purpose of property, given particular needs and wants of Generation Z, a very sort of connected generation, also very digital first, but actually want very specific things from their real estate. So uh, a big, a big trend. Yeah, and there's a lot about that in in impacts, by the way. So, uh, I, I, as I say, I urge you to to go and to go and look at that. I might say that again before the end of this podcast. Mary, let's tell me something or tell us something we don't know. Well, one of the things that I like to say is the talk about is the power of the built environment to improve human lives, and the influence that the built environment has on how we are as human beings. So, did you know that the distance of your home? to a supermarket has a direct correlation with the risk of obesity. Is that right? Yes. So basically, if you are closer to a supermarket, you are at less risk of being obese because you will walk to it. Oh. It's the bigger a supermarket is, the farther away it is from your home, the more likely you are to get in the car to get there. I love that. That's really amazing. Wes, tell us something we don't know. In your area, because your area is quite new, there must, must be lots of things we don't know. Well, it's new, but also my facts are nowhere near as good as these two. But I would always <laughs> point to the fact that even though Social Valley has been around since 2012 in terms of an act of parliament, there still isn't a Social Valley minister, uh, which I find really surprising, bearing in mind that 10% of all public procurement tenders now have to have a weighting of social value. So where's the direction coming from in central government and policy around how that's being monitored, observed, regulated? I, I still find that quite bizarre. And that presumably is in, in the UK. Where, how do we 
How do we rank, do you think, in that compared to other countries? Well, that's one thing I'm quite proud about, actually. I think in the social value space globally, the UK are at the forefront of all the conversations around how to create standardisation, what is value. But ultimately, I think one thing we have to consider is social value is different across the world. You know, what we view as important here to people is very different to people across the world. And therefore, understanding and creating that consistency on a global level can be quite tricky. Yeah. And Eri, you get the last word on uh, tell me something I don't know. I'm an analyst, so I'll throw a figure here. Something from our report, uh, the impact of demographic trends, a combination of what Paul mentioned. We are going to need 10 billion square feet of additional care homes and student housing space over the next decade. This is about 3,500 Empire State buildings. So this is the impact that demographic trends ageing population, rising student numbers can have on the needs for real estate space in the future. That's slightly terrifying. But I should say that our next episode of Real Estate Insights is about purpose-built student accommodation. So uh, so that, that just feeds into the next episode. We don't just throw this stuff together, you know. It's all done on purpose. Well, listen, thank you all so much uh, for, for being here and uh, and talking to, to us about uh, uh, impacts this year. As I say, I really encourage you to go to the microsite that Impacts has. It's not the usual address that we give out for research. It's www.savils.com slash impacts is the address. I'll do that again. Savils.com slash impacts is where you'll find everything, including, as I say, the 35-page publication uh, and all sorts of other things on the microsite, blogs and, and all that sort of stuff. It's well worth your time. Thank you again all for being here. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.